It's my joy to invite you to open your copy of God's perfect, precious, holy word this morning to First Chronicles. Pastor David, as we've already heard from in the video today, is away. He's preaching in Alabama. We want to pray that God uses him this morning, uses his word as he speaks from his word this morning in the hearts of his people there. Today we're going to be in First Chronicles chapter 29. And when Pastor Nate saw the text that we're going to be in, he thought, how perfect this is. It came the same day that the choir just sang for us that song. Uh, That's not surprising. That happens often, it seems, that God works things out for us in such a way. Uh, The title of this morning's sermon is, Yours, O Lord. And it's going to start in, uh, the text starts in First Chronicles 29, verse 10. So when you find First Chronicles 29, 10, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's perfect Word. It is a prayer. It is a prayer on a day of an offering. It is a prayer of thanksgiving. So well fitting for today. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from You, and You rule over all. In Your hand are power and might, and in Your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank You, our God, and praise Your glorious name. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from You. And of your own we have given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. Grant to, my, to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, performing all, and that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we come here to your word to listen, to learn. Help us, Lord, to change us. Help us to be uh, seeing the world around us and and all that we even can't see with with an accurate, right perspective. God, change our perspective to match reality today. Let us be amazed. Let us worship. Let us thank. In Jesus' name, we thank You. 
Amen. You can be seated. I wonder uh, what you would say if I ask you, we did a poll, is Lexington a big place? How big is Lexington? I think we all can, can readily admit that we would have a variety of answers to that question. I had lunch two weeks ago with one of the freshmen that comes on Sunday evenings to Ashland College Fellowship. He's new here at, at UK, and uh, his hometown uh, is in Kentucky, and it has 1,500 people. And for him, Lexington is huge. It's humongous. But then we have others like uh, Joseph or Michael, uh, she, Joseph Williamson from Chicago, and well, Lexington all of a sudden doesn't seem quite as big. Uh, tonight we have our international Thanksgiving dinner, and we'll have many guests from many different parts of the world. And over, uh, over the years that I've been in Lexington, I've, I've constantly had friends from China. And one of the things that I've heard more than once, multiple times from, from one of our Chinese students that uh, just gives me a chuckle is when, when they say, oh, my hometown, it, it's not a big city, not a big city, only one million people. Not a big city. I'm like, what? What do you mean that's not a, not a big city? But actually, in the scale of China, what they're saying is true. Because if your city has one million people, you are not in the top ten cities in China in terms of size. And you're not in the top 20. You're not in the top 30. Or the top 40. Or the top 50. If you list the 50th largest city in China. There's 49 cities larger than this one. It has more than one and a half million people. And all of a sudden, the size of Lexington just doesn't seem as big. And there's all kinds of examples we could give like this, like how far is a, is, is a drive that you would categorize as far? Well, it depends on where you live and how far you typically drive. Uh, it's funny when you, uh, I w- my undergraduate, I, I had the blessing of studying uh, at a big uh, state university, University of Florida, and, and to walk across campus to the other side of campus, and I walked fast, took more than 20 minutes, and then I went to graduate school at Southern Seminary, which is big for a seminary, but it was still funny sometimes when I would hear a classmate say, I, I had to park on the, on the far side of campus, it took me five minutes to walk to class. It's just a different scale. And it's not just distance and size, but also things like importance. Like, have you ever had a day in which you feel like, oh, I've got so much going on. I've got this, this big challenge that I'm trying to, to work through. I've got oh, it's just such a big problem. And then you come across somebody who is truly in a life crisis. They've got some terminal diagnosis or they have a family member who's just on the brink of death and you realize... Oh, this thing that I thought was so big. It's not that it doesn't matter. It's not that it's not important. We're not discounting it. But now I have a scale that has helped me to see it a little bit differently. Perspective. As we come to this text here in First Chronicles, we, we hear from King David at the end of his life. And what a life he has lived. From shepherd boy to being anointed secret king to being 
honored and granted favor to being fugitive to being established king through all wars and and, uh, just challenges to the throne. He's been rebuked and confronted and forgiven. And uh, there's so much that has gone on. And now, this is the end of His reign. And the kingdom has truly been established. And the wars are over. And He's giving to His son Solomon a kingdom that's, that's in pretty good shape. It's the golden age in many, many senses of this kingdom is, has arrived. And it's at this moment that he prays this prayer. And there's just been a massive offering from David as well as from the people generously giving the supplies with which the, the temple is going to be built. At the end of, the, of his prayer, he says, the palace, he says, uh, there, um, they grant to Solomon that he may build the palace. It's not talking about a palace. It's talking about the temple. We see that verse two when it, uh, verse 1 when it says, for the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. There's been this huge offering. It's been a joyous occasion. It's wonderful. And in the midst of all of that, there is a prayer that is on the scale of the greatness of God. That puts all of those victories and all of the things that people might be tempted to to take pride in. It's not that these things don't matter at all. They do matter. But it's just all, all the more important because of who He is that puts it all in perspective. Who the Lord is starts off. It says, therefore, David blessed the Lord. This is verse 10 in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are You, O Lord, the God of Israel our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is Yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and You're exalted as head above all. Notice things that are repeated already in this text, four times we've heard, Oh Lord, or David bless the Lord. And here in the, in the ESV that I'm looking at, it's all caps. L-O-R-D, all caps. And that signifies, in fact, many of you might have a translation that says something different there. It says Yahweh or Jehovah. It's, it's the revealed name of God. This is the name that God revealed when uh, He was about to rescue His people from slavery. And he spoke to Moses in the very familiar um, to many story about the burning bush. And Moses says, who shall I say sent me? If I'm going to, to be sent by you for the freeing of your people, who shall I say? And he says, say Yahweh. written with four constants. Y-H-W-H. Yahweh, I, it, I am is what it means. And from that moment on, it is a name that's associated with a God of covenant. A God who goes after His people and establishes a relationship with His people. A God who initiates. A God who loves. A God who rescues. So it makes sense that He says, Blessed are You, O Lord, the God of Israel. Our Father, remembering back to crafty 
trickster Jacob, who's renamed Israel, who is given favor by God because of God's commitment to His promise. And as, as God commits to, to Jacob, renamed Israel, that in itself shows a faithfulness in carrying through on the promises given to his father, Isaac. And that is given as evidence of God's faithfulnesses to, to the faithfulness to the promises that he said to Abraham. Generation after generation, God's faithful commitment to his promise. And the only reason that this family stands out in the scripture is because of the promise that is all centered upon the Messiah through whom he is going to, uh, through this family he's going to send that's for all peoples. And so it's all about God's initiating faithful love as he remembers this. Oh Lord, blessing the Lord. He says the, the, the meaning of this name is I am, which it points to his existence, that God exists forever. We're to trace His faithfulness. It's in both directions forever. He's the one who was and is and is to come, will be. The one who forever I am. So that's why it makes sense that He says, um, the God of Israel our Father forever and ever, literally from eternity to eternity is what the text says. From eternity to eternity, He is the blessed God, I am. I exist independently. He is the first cause. He is the one that is. He is. It's just simply He is. He doesn't even need to explain Himself. Everybody else in the world, you and I included, are I am because of. But He's not. He's just I am. He's the reason why everything else that we know and see exists. He calls out to him, O Lord, O Lord. You see what else is, is repeated here. It makes sense. He's, he's the, the cause of everything that, that it would say yours. Such a significant word. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. This piling on of terms. Yours is all of these things. The, the greatness, the, the scale. Here we are. We're talking about the scale. How, how vast is God? Yours is the power. The power from which we know everything that we know. It's, it's by the power of Your Word. By, by Your power. It's, it's Yours. Yours is the glory. And this word for glory isn't the, the usual word for glory. This is more the, the word that refers to beauty. Glorious beauty. Yours is the glorious beauty and the victory. This has to do with um, persistence despite challenges. The steadfastness. We talk about the God being the God of steadfast love. Your steadfast love endures forever. But how can it endure forever unless the One in whom, from whom it comes endures? And He is steadfast. And Yours is the majesty. Think like a king. Makes you just... You, you, you don't joke around the king. You don't, you don't just uh, ignore the king. The king has attention because he's the king. And yours is 
the majesty, this piling up of terms that's all yours, saying, God, you are preeminent. You are highest. Remember, this is a king with an established kingdom who's praying this prayer because he knows it's true. It's all the Lord's. All in the heavens and in the earth is yours. I'm from Colorado. And uh, out there, of course, there's the, the mountains. And we used to, to go, and actually the city that I'm from is Colorado Springs. And uh, when I was a child, um, my dad worked on that side of town as this place called Garden of the Gods. Many of you might be familiar with it. It has these huge red rocks just standing there. So it's one of my favorite places on the planet. And you can be standing next to a small one of those. And it's just fascinating to think of, here I am, even if I were to be there as a, as a grown man, and, and here's, here's my 200 pounds. It's just nothing compared to the weight of this boulder. I'm maybe one, this boulder is a hundred times or more. It's more like 200 times my weight here, just a rock. And that boulder is nothing but a speck of dust compared to the mountain that it's under the shadow of, of Pike's Peak. And Pike's Peak is just like a grain of sand compared to this chain of mountains, the Rocky Mountains, and that's not the longest mountain chain on earth. It's nothing compared to the size of the planet that we live on, and it's all yours. The power of God made it all be there. To stand on the edge of the ocean, as, as many of us have done, and, and just look out and see as far as you can see just how... How many kilometers can I see out there over the water? And yet, I could take my whole life to explore those waters. And that's nothing compared to the size of the oceans. It's, I wasn't planning this, but I, as I look out, I see the, the, the map that's already set up for International Thanksgiving over there. And I see the map of the world. It's just vast, huge, and it's yours. He made it all. He knows it all. Yours is the greatness. Yours is the power that brought that all into being. Thursday morning. Like family's getting ready. Uh, kids are getting ready for school. And I hear uh, one of my daughters, Clarissa, say, Dad, yes, look at the sky. And if you noticed, you were up at this time of day. You look out. The sky was amazing Thursday morning here in Lexington. It just looks like, almost like one of those... Uh, old hyper-color shirts. Young people, you can ask your parents what those are. And it, it, it was just like blue and then pink and then blue and pink and the cloud cover. And it was amazing. So then we left to go drive, drop my kids off at the elementary school. And as we were driving, it just kept on changing. And it got to be this brilliant uh, uh, just sunrise. And then the sun rose. And it was this horizontal just gold beaming light that was quite bright blinding to to look at but just it was so so amazing his is the glory how many sunrises have there been how many sunsets how many beautiful things but think about the most amazing thing you've ever seen in nature it's his and everything that i've been saying so far has been limited to the earth it says yours is everything in heavens and on earth. All that is in the heaven and earth is yours. So we haven't even talked about the moon or the, the planets or the galaxies or the universe. I hope 
that for you, what you hear about science, please do not get into that error, those, the, the crazy thought that maybe science and, and, and faith uh, have tension among each other, that you can't, they can't coexist. No! Like, as we find out more about the world, we're finding out more about His creation. And that should do nothing but to expand our awareness and amazement over the amazing Creator God that He is. It's all His. Chemistry people, all that chemistry people understand and all that they don't. And the experts in chemistry, probably still there's more that they don't understand than that we've discovered so far. It's all His. Every mystery, every ounce, every fragment, every atom. It's His. It's His by right of creation. He made it. It's His by right of providence and by the fact that He sustains it. It's His by right of rule. It's His. This is really important for us to think about when we are tempted to make much of our greatness or our power or our glory or our majesty, whatever, whatever we're making much of. It's not that things don't matter. It's not that our victory doesn't... We've, you, kids who won just won a great game. It's not that that doesn't matter. It's that there's so much greater a victory that God is above it all. Sometimes this, this, this word yours isn't what's on our mind. What's on our mind is mine. We're focusing on what is mine. We think about my role, my job, my family, my dreams, my ministry, my future, my well-being, my aspirations, my accomplishments, my strengths, my plans, my stuff. Yours. It's not forgetting. God is over it all. Every bit that we enjoy, every fragment of good is from Him. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You are exalted as head above all. Yours is the kingdom. What is David talking about? This is First Chronicles. Hey, if it was in, in the New Testament, we would say, oh, here's the kingdom. Well, the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus is, Jesus is born. God sends uh, John the Baptist to announce the way, uh, proclaiming the message, repent for the kingdom of God is here. It's at hand. Jesus is born. He, he um, shares the same message. He starts proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is at hand. This is back then. Perhaps is David just thinking about his, the kingdom of Israel? The kingdom that he's passing on to his son Solomon? Here, yours is this kingdom? Clearly not. Because he says you're exalted as head above all. All that's in the heavens and the earth is yours. So David is recognizing God as king above all. King of kings. The eternal kingship of God. Because you do realize that the kingdom of God in that sense did not begin ever. It always was. God, there's never been a moment in time that God was not king above all. That God was not king of kings. But when it says the kingdom is at hand, here it is that the king himself has come into human flesh. And mankind can say there is our human and God 
king. He's among us and he's dying and he's raising from the dead and he's conquering death for us to lead a people forever to be our king forever. But he's already talking about the kingdom of God. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You're exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from You. You rule over all. Notice all the alls. You see that? All that's in the heavens and the earth is Yours. Yours is the kingdom. You're exalted as head above all. Right? Riches and honor come from You. You rule over all. In Your hand are power and might. And in Your hand it is to make great and give strength to all. Is this universal? And that doesn't just have to do with all things. He says, give strength to all. It has to do with all peoples, too. Tonight, we're going to have a crowd here at our international Thanksgiving dinner. And usually, there's more than 30 different countries represented in the crowd. For some of the people, this will be their first time ever walking into any building associated with Christianity. And this may be the first time they've ever shared a personal meal with Christians, as each table in there is going to have table hosts from our church. Sharing a meal and sharing the hope that they have in Jesus. This may be brand new to them. But what we must remember is, though God may be new to them, they are not new to God. And for their entire life, with, with who, whose air have they been breathing? The Lord's. In whose world have they been living? God's. Who has been providing the crops the, for which they've been eating, enjoying, nourishing their bodies, sustaining them? God. And so it's great, beautiful to think about all the history of, of God with them that they may not even know about. God is God over all. It's universal. All peoples. In His hand is what we see next. In your hand are power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now, that sets us up. We recognize your hand, it's in your hand. Everything we have that is good is from Him. This morning, I drank His coffee. It was delicious. And even if I had been the coffee farmer and said, no, 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 this is my coffee. I planted the seeds. I raised the crop. I harvested it. I took the cherry off the bean. I washed the bean. I roasted the bean. Now I ground the bean. Now I've brewed the cup. It's all traced to Him. Right? I didn't, I didn't create the soil. I didn't come up with the idea of coffee. He did. It's His idea. Praise the Lord. Thanksgiving. Right? This morning I put on His socks and His shoes. And I'm wearing clothes that are His. And I came into a building here that is His. And here I am with, with people that are made in His image. We're all enjoying, everything we're enjoying is His. In His hand. And that sets us up to say what's said next in verse 13. And for us to think about this, especially this week, this thankful offering, thanksgiving week. And now we thank You, our God, and praise your glorious name. We thank Him because we recognize it's all from Him. And the name that we're about is His name above all. Now, that's not to say that your name is not important. 
I had to ask somebody's, their, their name a, a third time today. Felt bad. It, it just didn't, it didn't stick. Now, granted, first time and second time were spread out over about two years. So, uh, bear with me. But sometimes I might, especially new people, I might need to ask your name a second time. Your name matters. Please bear with me. I'm sorry if, if I don't remember it always. Your name is significant. And it's not to say that the name like Ashland, which recognizes a group of people together, serving Jesus together, isn't significant. Because it is. God's given us a, a family, a church family. He's given us pastors and we serve Christ together. But it's not ultimate. There's one ultimate name and that is God. And we look to Him. We praise His glorious name. And, and our identity is significant only in be, because of, of His. In His hand, we find everything good and it's all about Him. That brings us to the next part. So we've talked about who He is, but then the next section is who are we? Specifically, like who are we to be able to enjoy this? Look at verse 14. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. O Lord God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. He asked this question, who am I? It's the second time he's done this in praying to God. The first time was when David said he wanted to build the temple. David looked around. He's like, I'm in a palace. But the worship of the Lord is happening in this tent that's called the tabernacle. And I'm not okay with that. I want to build a temple. I want there to be an amazing temple that recognizes the kingship of God. And God denied his request to do that. He said, no, your son's going to do it. You will not build me a house, but I will build you a house. Putting a pun on the words. Talk about a dynasty. And saying, from your descendants, there shall be a th- that there's a throne that will never end. That's fulfilled in Jesus. Right? And in the midst of that, what an amazing promise from God. David says, who am I? And here, as he thinks about the fact that now he's been used... He gave generously. The people gave generously. And this is part of the story of the temple. He said, Who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? This is one of these can't answer those questions. Sorry. Questions. This is one of the can't answer questions of the Bible. And there's lots of them. You ask the question, Why, why would God save us? Well, to make a, make a people for Himself, for His glory. Uh, why would God uh, send His Son? Well, He sent His Son because He loved. Okay, well, why does God love us? Uh, thank you? How do you answer that? It's just because of Him. He's amazing. He's God. Like, why would God choose to use us? Think, it's not just stuff like giving this offering that happened for that text in that day. But just think about the human story of God's kingdom. You've got some uh, situations like Paul or the road of Damascus. Why does God just not do that for everybody? 
Why doesn't God just say, hey, there's a bright light. I am the Lord, Jesus Christ. Believe in me. But that's not what God's chosen. Instead, He chooses to use His people. He, he uses us to deliver the message of hope in Jesus Christ. We can sit at a table across from people who haven't heard this story before and share how amazing God is and that God might use that as part of the story of bringing them to faith in Jesus Christ that they can enjoy Jesus forever. Who are we that we get to be a part of that? Who is our church that God gets to use us in the story of His progression of the good news to every tribe and tongue that He would draw people to Himself and make us a part of that? Why do we deserve to be a part of that? One of those can't answer questions. Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you for your work for that, that, that you would choose. Praise God. And that brings us to the prayer request that his prayer lands on. And his, this prayer request is, is looking forward. And as we prepare to think about how he's looking forward uh, to the future. He, he's going to pull in the past right away. Um, he says, O Lord, the God, this is verse 18, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers. I'm remembering you are the covenant God. I'm remembering your faithfulness through all of these generations. He's not just identifying, oh, hey, this is the God I'm talking about. He's remembering God's faithfulness to Abraham, God's faithfulness to Isaac, God's faithfulness to Jacob. Our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people. Direct their hearts to you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, your statutes, performing all, and that he may build the palace, this temple for which I have made provision. So he's praying for his son, but he's also praying for all of the people that they would God, would you direct their hearts towards you? Would you keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people? That it would really be about you and your rule and what's lasting. We didn't talk much about it when I got to that verse, but it says, we are strangers and sojourners before you. It's a strange word. Strangers? I, I thought God, was, God knew us when we could say, Abba, Father, that doesn't sound like a stranger. That's not what he's saying. It's not having to do with distance of relationship. It has to do with, with ownership. Back then, if you were in an agricultural society and you were away from your home, perhaps because of war, perhaps you left as a refugee and you came to a, a new land or because of famine, you're in a land, you're here, you're alive, but it's an agricultural society and you don't have even a grapevine or a fig tree. You have no parcel of land you can farm. How can you sustain? Well, it was necessary that there be a hospitality. There be generosity of the people to help you stay alive. And likewise, it's reminding us that we, this world, this stuff, where we are now, is not our forever home. And here there is no, some translations say there is no hope. Or there's no abiding. Oh, goodness, I came to church today to hear a message from the Word of God and you're telling me there is no hope? 
Oh, what's saying is saying the same thing as Ecclesiastes is saying when it says, All is vanity, that this is not where we build our treasure. There's no abiding. You can't stay. I like this place. I'm just going to stay. You can't. Your life will come to an end, it'll be over. I'm going to take it with me. There's few cultures have tried that burying stuff with the people, but. Pretty much universally, it's been recognized all across the world. You can't, right? This is, the whole world we see is, is, is temporary. Everything's temporary? No. God is forever and ever. From eternity to eternity. And His kingdom is forever. His word lasts forever. So that makes sense. It's just pure logic that that's where we should be invested. That that's where we want to we, we want to care about what's most important and lasting, don't you? Don't you want to have a perspective that matches what's most important in life? That's my prayer request for us, that God would, would shape us to see what is really important and to not be distracted by what is not. It's not to say that it doesn't matter. It's not to say stuff doesn't matter. Or to say that... that um, what happens today doesn't matter. Um, in fact, today happens is all the more important because of eternity. But it just is to say what is forever. What is lasting. What is truly forever important. If it was a big deal for them that they should be rejoicing because God used their stuff as a part of the building of the temple... How much more is it for us when the temple points to something even greater that is forever in Jesus Christ? If He could say, all that is heaven and on earth is yours, and He's thinking including me, King David, and these your people, how much more when we layer upon that the truth that God has redeemed us that God has purchased us, that we're not our own, but that we've been bought with the blood of Jesus given for us to make us the children of God forever. How much more important is it? It's simple logic that we want to be invested. Our lives, our time, our words, ourselves, our community in what is most important and what is forever. And so as we look forward and we say, uh, forever keep such purposes in the hearts of your people. Direct our hearts towards you. We remind ourselves that because of Jesus Christ, we look forward forever. There's never an end to the looking forward of, of the purposes of God being enjoyed by the people of God. The joy of His salvation is without end. And it's in light of those truths of the forever greatness and majesty, and glory, and power, and victory of God, that we do things like giving with joy. We do things like sitting and sharing a meal with people from the nations. And we do things like gathering together for worship. Let's take a moment to pray to that wonderful God right now. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your goodness. We thank You for Your greatness that we cannot grasp, even in our best moment, the scale of who You are. We thank You that as we widen our perspective 
that you always fill the whole frame. Thank you for your power that there is nothing that you would like to do but can't. And for your glory that we can be sure that the future is beautiful because of you. We thank you that we can enjoy forever in time that you are forever and ever from eternity and eternity that we can enjoy you in majesty. We thank you for your authority and for your kingship. We want to see all peoples glorifying you. We don't want to see any people group on this planet missing out. And we thank you for your promise that all will, all will have representation in that people from every tribe and tongue. We look forward to that moment and beyond it in which every tongue will say in that crowd, salvation belongs to the Lord. We thank You that our life is not all about us. We thank You that You are steadfast. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.